shadows of Martin Page all day, all night, forever. So grab a cup of tea, settle down with us in the owl's nest. So, it's 1984, and what was that song we both played on, Brian? Um, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. in this track in 1984. This is a track called Ghostbusters. I think we were. I mean, I'm depending on you. Uh, a track by Ray Parker, Ghostbusters, that did incredibly well. We're here to talk about it, but we can't remember anything yeah. at all. So, uh, goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, silence. It's amazing, because we said we would do a show on this, uh, this track, and as we've talked about it, we've thought, we don't know much at all about we're, we're very old we're very old and it's all gone out of our minds we but, were very old in 1984 but if we play the track a little bit more we might remember so here we go Yeah, so the facts are that um, Brian Fairweather, my great partner from my band Qfield, who's on my left. Here I am. And I'm on the right here. We actually played um, on this track. Um, I played keyboards and actually Brian played guitar, right? Yes, we, we did. Ray played uh, like the, the main rhythm guitar and I played the, the lead guitar. It's, it's, it's incredible, really, because the story of this is that Brian and I had just come across uh, to L.A. with a uh, hit song, Dancing in Heaven, right? Dancing in Heaven. That's about as high as we can sing it these days as well. <laughs> That's... Bring <laughs> it down a key. <laughs> the death version. Um, and this record was being played on K-Rock Radio, and our manager at that time, Diane Poncha, was a manager of Ray Parker, an associate manager, and she said that it would be good for us to meet up with Ray, didn't she? Diane was a, a, a very well-connected person at the time, and still is. But, uh, yeah, she, it was her suggestion, and uh, we were huge fans of That's Ray right. Parker and Radio. Yeah. And uh, it just made uh, it is very excited at the thought of it. It's pretty incredible because when we were in London, our publisher said, "What you should do is uh, what you should do, boys, as writers, is study Ray Parker Jr. He writes this incredible music that is R and B and pop, and uh, we might play a track by uh, Jack and Jill. I think was the song, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Big hit in England, and there we were. Two weeks was it? Two weeks we were in LA by that time. Um, if short. that, yeah, I mean, it was the, incredible. 
the the song Ghostbusters was written in a couple of days, and uh, yeah, it was written while we were in our first first week or two. We actually, that's right. We were. Uh, Diane told me that what she was trying to do was get us to meet Ray Parker Jr. for writing with him, and us playing our demos to him. So we got in a was it Rent-A-Wreck? Yeah, we we got a, a rental car that I think it was an old Thunderbird or something like that. Yeah, all we cared about is that it had wheels and there was a radio in it and a bit of an engine. <laughs> we didn't really care, which about we the managed engine. to ruin. <laughs> We burnt it out. Laurel Canyon. So, so Diane says, that's right, she said he lives on Lancashire Boulevard, American students, American. American. And uh, she said, go over and see him. Ray would like to uh, meet with you. Now, we have to remember, this is the 1984, so music was changing. Brian and I were in this band, Q-Phil, which was mainly synthesizers, and we were like... Um, we were excited to meet American writers. That was our big thing because a lot of our demos, they were American influence, weren't they? Yeah, the, the weird thing was when we were in Britain, we were listening to um, all the, like the Kenny Loggins, all the uh, Brothers. Almond Brothers. Yeah. Um, Earth, Wind and Fire. Earth, Wind and Fire. And we were coming over with like a new perspective on music, which everybody in America yeah. wanted, to, wanted a piece of. Yeah. And uh, it was a great exchange experiment. I think we couldn't have come at a better time. And uh, Diane had s sort of knew our music and that it was what they would call then new wave and high tech. And I think Ray, all the artists like Ray Parker, like Earth, Wind & Fire, who we actually worked with uh, just after this, they were wanting to change their sound, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, they, they were particularly interested in rhythm tracks that, uh, that had that, remember that, that snare drum? Yeah. With the, uh, we, we got with the gate effect. Oh, that's right, AMS. AMS, AMS yeah, we unit, put it through yeah. A, yeah. a reverb unit and we gated the reverb. Yeah. And it, it gave that kind of, as Kim Carnes used to say, trashy snare. Yeah, that trashy was us, snare. trash. Trash is a very good yeah. word for us. We, we, <laughs> we were good we at actually, trash. We actually had a, a thing, didn't we? When anybody cut our songs in the early days, we said, that's the end of their career. <laughs> we never had any success at the beginning. So every time somebody cut our songs and it only got to like 72 in the charts, we thought, ha, ha, we've done it again. Yeah, we've success. ruined another career. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. If, if only Ray Parker knew what was about to happen. <laughs> so anyway, we went across to his uh, studio and he was a lovely man, wasn't he? He was a, a very regular guy. Yeah. I was nervous. I got, I got to say, was, yeah. I didn't think you were nervous. Huh? No, I mean he was like a, a big personality and uh, yeah, well, very well connected. Best friend was Clive Davis. Yeah, from Arista Records. And I didn't really take it too serious. The, the session work that Ray has done over the years. It was after we worked with him. I realised that he was doing all that incredible work with um, Stevie Wonder. He was in Boss Gag's band. He played with the Toto Musicians. He was a ridiculous yeah. session player. He was. And yeah. there he was. And he was saying to... Uh, Brian will take this story on a bit better than I can remember. But after we sort of made friends, and we think we must have played him some of our cassette demos, he said, come into my office. And um, he started to talk to us about playing on this new track he was creating then, right? It was... Um, there was a demo at the time. You know, he explained that... You know, this wasn't a finished track, and uh, mm. he'd written it in a couple of days, and, uh, you know, he wanted uh, guitar and keyboards on it, and I said, well, you're a guitarist, why don't you play guitar on it? And he said, <laughs> I, I don't do the kind of guitar that I, I need played on this, I need rock guitar, so. Wow. 
um, I uh, said, okay, let's, uh, let's give it a go. And he said, well, I'm going to go to lunch. Unbelievable. And uh, do what you, do what you want, I'll come back and have a listen. So he must have known that, <clears throat> I think he must have known that I played a bit of keyboards and bass, and you played guitar and a bit of keyboards. We must have, you know, it's hard for us to totally recall this, but I think he must have really understood that we were players as well. As well, well we, as songwriters. What we couldn't work out is what we were there for. <laughs> why, why were we there? Were we there to play a session or were, were they there I think to hang we were, out well, I think know I asked Diane and she said it was ma 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 mainly for us to meet him as songwriters. Songwriters, okay. That he, okay. Might, he might want to write with us or um, use us for his band radio, which he, he was still thinking of bringing back again. So we radio. must have brought some ideas along like, to, start, to start off with. Well, this right? is it. I think we played a few cassettes to him and he was impressed. Um, but then, I, as you say, bro, I think he started talking about this track he was working on, which he didn't even, did he didn't even say a title, did he? Um, he said it was for a movie. Right, That's okay. all I remember. Okay, and he he said he was that this was his project because he he had he had to do it quickly. He didn't have much time to do it, yeah. And um, he had some pretty specific um, instructions to to live by as well. Now, what we did, you and I talk about just before we did this with a cup of tea, is that we must have driven to his studio on Lancashire Boulevard in the Valley, only two weeks in LA, and we must have brought across your guitar and the car. They were in the boot. In the boot. Yeah. And the I trunk, must, I mean. And I must have um, brought my little Casio keyboard, my little synthesizer that I brought from England. And I think you just pointed out that on this track, you played through a Rockman, right? Yeah, so I must have been prepared to do a session because uh, that was the only equipment I had. I didn't have any rig. And or a Rockman is a, a unit that makes your guitar sound like uh, it's, it's going through an amp, a yeah. processor. It was invented by Tom Schultz from Boston. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you just plug it in, and uh, you can you can use it straight in direct inject or put it into an amplifier. And we were just but listening to the track now, and I forgot it, 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 your guitar part is I can now hear is going through a Rockman. Yes, you can recognise the sound. And yeah. and but it means to me that we came to Ray's studio. We must have been prepared. Well, I think possibly to write a song to write. Yes. So if he said, what have you got? We could say, get your guitar out, Brian, and here's my keyboards, and I'll here's what we what, just wrote. Yeah. We, we never went anywhere without being prepared. No, no, that's we, true. We, we didn't know how long we were going to be in L.A., <laughs> so it was like, the guitar comes with us everywhere, the keyboard comes with us We everywhere. might be buskers. <laughs> yeah, we'll play in the street if we have to. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we're going to win somehow. But, so. you know, when he said, play on it, he must have, I mean, it took a lot of trust in him to say... Yes. Because you said he, he left us. He went, he went lunch. He was going to lunch with his girlfriend at the time, yeah. And, he, and then he went away, what, two or three hours. Brian yeah. played guitar, but I believe when we were in the office, he told us in more detail what he wanted us to play. And as you say, he wanted you to play rock guitar. Yes. And I think he wanted me to play that kind of new uh, wave, uh, uh, unusual keyboards. Yeah, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for modern, like a, a, a modern, yeah, uh, aspect to it. 
that Depeche Mode kind of thing, which is, and I had this little teeny keyboard, um, which I plugged in and, uh, and asked the engineer to put some reverb on. But of course, this engineer, Steve Halquist, I think his name Steve was. Steve Halquist. He was a little bit perturbed, wasn't he, when we were left alone in the studio with just him and Ray left. I uh, think he, was, he was an old school engineer, like American engineer. He was yeah, like, yeah. You, you don't uh, use processors <laughs> on anything. I won't put any reverb on that until we mix and we're going, no. Pure. Yeah. No, we, we, we create the effects at the moment we're doing it. That's right. That was the way you do it in the 80s. And we know? had to win him over because he yeah. was a little bit like, um, no, I'm not going to do what you two English geezers want to do. Who the hell are you? We we got him to give us a tour of the studio. That's right? right. That's right. Or you did. We had to win him over. Yeah. You were good at that. Well, he was a bit <laughs> stubborn, and so we, he sp we I learned that he in built the studio. So I thought if we warm him up a bit and show us what he did, so he took us around the whole studio, and we were going, oh, what wonderful microphones, what wonderful jeans you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Love your glasses. <laughs> you do look particularly like a really good engineer today. <laughs> we sort of um, got him on our side. And then for those two hours, we actually did a lot of overdubs. I played a lot of keyboards. Brian played a lot of guitar. And let me fade the track up again. And uh, you'll hear some of it. just heard there is those keyboards in that break that was me doing all those little crazy sounds because Ray said I want it to be sound ghost-like and be poltergeisty and that was Brian right you were playing the rock guitars in that in that part Ra we just played rather brilliant yeah it was really quite good I thought quite yeah. good yeah you quite were on good. form that day that's on form your fingers <laughs> were working now you know we, we did we did all these parts and then Ray came back and he just walked in the room and he said, uh, play me what you guys have done, right? Bit, bit of a nervous moment because yep, we had yep. no idea whether it's uh, what he wanted. And to be honest with you, did, I, did they have the Ghostbusters chant on there at that point? I think so. I remember thinking it was a weird title. Yeah, Ghostbusters is not the kind of thing. I remember being a little bit disappointed that we so weren't we must playing have known. Yeah. on an R&B song I thought it was, this is a strange kind of oddity I don't know if I liked it I think you did yeah um, I mean I like the the idea of the chant I've always liked the you know, yeah. chant choruses and that's what it was you know? uh, but Ghostbusters we didn't really know what really what that meant and we thought well, you know, I did I thought it's a bit sort of strange and me I'd like to have been involved on in a song like Jack and Jill R&B that was me that's right well that was the opinion of um, Clive Davis as well, because uh, he was um, Ar Arista Records, Arista Records yeah. head of Arista, and he, he was a little worried about Ray doing 
uh, a song about Ghostbusters. I mean, what is that? He was so yeah. used to Ray writing love songs uh, about, like, your know, boy and girl. One thing we've got to bring up here is it was so fast. I mean, really, we were doing that for about two hours, right? Yeah. Um, Ray comes into the studio and he plays it back. As Brian said, we were probably a bit tense of, that he liked what we played. And I think he was uh, over the moon. He loved it. He yeah. said, that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Um, I think we said, you know, are we going to get paid? I, I don't know if we said that. <laughs> <laughs> Something. But we left. But we made friends with him. And I think he said to us, now this is a bit vague, but we, we just worked out that we went uh, talking about this before. We went back to his studio, I think, two or three more times later. We can't remember exactly why. Radio. Because the band we're very Radio. Old. Radio. Is that what it was? We had a, I think he liked a couple of our songs that we'd written, um, and he thought that he was going to re-bring re back You're the right. band Radio. You're right. And That's we met was. with, I think I'm right on this, the lead singer from Radio, Arnell Carmichael. Arnell, yeah. That's it. It's a bit of a mystery because Ghostbusters became so big so fast. So fast, yeah. We returned to the management's office and um, we said that was a really great meeting Ray Parker. We liked him and he liked us. But we didn't really know what we played on because it wasn't finished. Yeah, I mean, you've got to imagine that, that there has no, been no Ghostbusters movie, uh, yeah. no big yeah. hit. Hard to remember. Yeah. We, we just thought it was another day in uh, the lives of uh, two struggling songwriters. And uh, within, I would say, maybe three, four weeks, it was number one in America. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, I thought <laughs> we were just jamming. We didn't really know what we were doing. And yet we're, musicianship, we're number one of the, in the charts. And Ray yeah. sent us a platinum Plat album. Platinum album. Called us up, says, you, we got a couple of platinum albums in there. <sighs> the bank closet for you i don't know if you were the same bry but for me when we first started off to have when we went to musicians uh, houses in uh, la they used to have gold and platinum records on the wall and we yes. thought that is it isn't it that was, that was the trophy you were after oh, yeah i think that was the first award we in some form we got ever what do they do these days? They don't have platinum vinyls. What do they do now? I think it's they because it's oh, that's interesting because it's streaming. Um, but I know that when I got some awards in the CD era, yeah, they put CDs up instead of vinyl, and I've got a few with just CDs on there. But that's interesting. What do you get for massive streams? <laughs> what what do know, you like get? A, a US gold USB. <laughs> That's a question for all of you Ghostbusters out there. <laughs> what kinds of awards do you get for being a stream champion? Back in the day, it was the uh, the nice vinyl record uh, sprayed with the, oh, the little cassette at the bottom. That's Remember? right. That's right. You had a cassette, little cassette tape. As well. That's right. And my manager still uh, makes me remember that one of the things for me going into these songwriters' houses that Brian and I did back in those days, we, whenever we saw maybe just one gold album, we were like, godlike that is that is they must have been so famous yeah the temple the temple we were not worthy <laughs> there was a lot of bowing going on a lot of bowing and lots of <laughs> groveling in the floor <laughs> dribbling at the mouth <laughs> <laughs> but to get back to ghostbusters within three or four weeks this record was huge we'd made friends with ray and uh really to, to just move on from what that did for us I think Ghostbusters, in a way, it made us feel, Brian and I, that America was a place we had to stay for a while. God, for, for that to work like it worked was 
uh, a dream come true. Yeah, it really was. And he, and to this day, Ray is still a friend of ours, and yes. we're still doing a bit of work with him, which is pretty amazing. Got to bring up here that uh, Brian and I went to see him not too long ago. He was going to play some guitar on one of my solo records, and we hadn't seen him for years. And when you push the doorbell for Ray's house, what do you get? Who are you going to call? <laughs> It's true. It's fantastic. <laughs> and and when, loves you, that song. and when you call his phone, right? You've called him a few oh, times. Oh, right, right, his, right. His answer phone. His answer phone's the same? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, anyway. Well, I'll um, tell you what, who wouldn't? You that's know, right. That's you have right. success like that with one record. That's uh, yeah. incredible. Hey, you know, we're going to move on from uh, what, what happened with Ghostbusters and how it moved us on as songwriters. But um, when you think about it, uh, records in England for us were never made like this, were they? No, no. Never as quick. Well, for a start, the England market was uh, very, um, very closed. It was usually bands that wrote their own material yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah when we came to california suddenly the 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 waves parted and it was like no they, we have songwriters over here that write for other people you can write for yourself if you yeah. want but you know we need songs you made me think there as well because we were pretty tight english studio guys very much into discipline being re you know it's going to take two or three days and then we're going to remix it and do this and that and we were really quite precision oriented but here we were on a track that he did like instantly in that day maybe two days it was out in the charts uh, in the movies and number one in three or four weeks it was we've never been through we've never seen anything like that never seen a process like that and Ray's yeah. a he's, he's an easy going guy yes very very nice easy going guy you know but he had such such success in such a short period of time of that yeah I mean before that I mean radio were huge and that song a woman needs love I think it was a huge record he had and of course Jack and Jill was a huge hit um, in fact let's spin a bit of radio it? yeah let's play it Jack and Jill and this we, we loved this record before we met him Ray Parker sound, isn't it? Warm, luxurious. Yeah, he um, he had um, Arnell sing like an octave lower at the very beginning, and then he had the the range to Arnell did the other. Yeah, song. Arnell. Yeah, he had the range to hit the the high 
after. And, and from working on Ghostbusters, Ray wanted us to meet up with Arnel Carmichael, the guy who was singing Hi There and was the lead singer, to actually work on songs for radio coming back again. Yes, which would have been phenomenal for us because it was like another another vehicle. I think we, we wanted that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. we, we had a couple of demos, one called Put the Pressure On and I think a demo called Love is a Drug, which is on one of my Poetry Collisions albums, a demo. And I think Ray was saying, these are the kinds of songs that radio need to do. Yes. I think th there's an aspect of this that, that if Ghostbusters hadn't been as big as it was... Yeah that would have been another project for us but you know ray had so much in his plate after ghostbusters that's right he i didn't think, have time i think you're right bright i think uh, after ghostbusters the band radio was not going to exist yeah i think that's the way it went uh, I, although i would have loved to have been writing songs for radio i really would have loved well in that. a way that's what we were there for in the first yeah, place and yeah it, it, you know, things took a different turn absolutely it's bringing another thing to mind um our calling card back in that time was our own record which was played in la and and all the record companies that we went to see seemed to be turned on by it it was like a top 10 los angeles record dancing in heaven it was really difficult for American artists that were established to to understand what was going on with the British invasion at that time. Yeah, and uh, I I got the feeling of some resistance, but they wanted that sound. It was amazing for us because we would hear it on the radio when we were driving our hire wreck around town. Our record was being played, and I think in the office, the studio office, before we went into the actual studio with Ray, I think we must we have played it. We must have played it to him, yeah. and I think he was intrigued. Yes, I think he was. He he was, he had the same opinion as as most people. I think, like I said, about American artists, they didn't particularly quite get it at first, but they knew what they wanted. That's right. Everything was changing. You just brought it up. It was a, a revolution, I think. And yeah. we were right on the front of that. Tom Dolby, the Thompson Twins, uh, Ultravox. We were using synthesizers, which really at that time, not many American artists were using. No, and they were really cheap at the time. Remember the, the Casio yeah. that you used on Ghostbusters? Yes. They, there was a rack of four that uh, Yazoo used to use. That's right. That's yes. right. That's right. I and I think Ray was also one of the few artists that, if you think, even listening to that radio hit, there were synthesizers involved. Yes. But there was a different attitude with the kind of music that we were bringing across from England. And I do think that Ray wanted a bit of that because he also played owner of a lonely heart by yes to us oh he did didn't he yeah and he said how do they get that sound and we we spent years trying to work out how we got that sound. <laughs> we still are <laughs> yeah it's like a mystery but uh, the guy's a genius but, but that uh, was they, yeah. you think about it that was the kind of music that we were also you and i influenced by with our own band we liked the buggles we liked tom dolby we were very much into ultravox well, if we remember correctly, the um, Owner of a Lonely Heart came out around about the same time as Dancing yeah. in Heaven. Yeah. So I can't remember whether we heard that first or we wrote Dancing in Heaven first. Can you? You know, I think they both came out really around the same time. And if I really listen to Dancing in Heaven, which we should play, um, I think there's a real influence of um, Ultravox more than, than Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I don't think we were so prog rocky. I think no, we, no. I no. think we were into that um, interesting sound that was coming from Midjur and Ultravox. Ultravox, yeah. And we yeah. like we, we were very influenced by Tom Dolby. 
Yeah, we uh, didn't we try and meet up with Tom Dolby at one point? I think we did, or the record company wanted us to meet up with him. I something that was close. I think the closest we got to him was his uh, little suitcase of uh, syndromes. The uh, remember he had a little little pad of drums inside a I don't, an I attaché don't. case. Where, where did you get that from? Uh, maybe it was his engineer that showed us showed us it. So uh, I never met Tom. Did you? Uh, no, I don't but think what? so. We met his engineer. Did we? Yeah, he showed us. We're in his studio. This is amazing. I don't know really this. He showed us this, like a little attaché case, and it had a drum machine in it. You plugged it in, <laughs> and he said, "This is how Tom gets his sounds." Was this at Battery Studios? No, it was. It was something to do with Tom's studio. It was uh, he, Tom had his own place? Not so. where we did the Q Phil record either. No. John no. Congress's studio. It wasn't John Congress. You should, if only you could see how we're looking at each other here between the microphones. We're like, what are you talking we're about? We're trying to work out whether I'm making it up or yeah. Martin just has lost his memory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, that was. I can't remember that at all because I know that as writers we were influenced. Um, I know this is about Ghostbusters, but before we just came to, to meet with Ray Parker, we were listening a lot to the... Um, the Tom Dolby first solo record, the album, which was called The Golden Age the of Golden Wireless. Age of Golden Age of Radio? Wireless. 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 Okay. And it was romantic and it was unusual. We what loved was Wind Power on? Wind Power was on that album. That was, that was the one I had in mind when we, we went to that One studio. of our submarines one was on that. It was missing tonight. Missing. And we liked Buggles because Trevor Horn and Elstree, remember on their first yes. solo album? Yeah, We're yeah, giving yeah. it all away here. But that's really, that was, and you think about it, although Brian was a guitarist and I was a bass player and a bit, we both, both played a bit of keyboards, that's when music was really changing in London. Well, it forced us to change as well because you know we were yeah. listening to very, uh, very regular American music at the yeah. time, yeah. and it made us think twice about uh, what was going to happen next. Everybody's trying to second guess what the next big thing is, and we were doing the same. In fact, you know, we're going to. I want to play a bit of Dancing in Heaven now, just so you could all remember what that track was. I mean, when we when when we worked with Kim Carnes, that was the sound she was wanting to get as well. Exactly. We yes. were here at the right time. Gated snare. That's right. Trashy snare. <laughs> and AMS reverbs, things That's like right. that. I That's don't know right. if any of you know what we're talking about, because we don't. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a revolution in music, and I think we were very lucky that we arrived in L.A. at, at just the right, the right time. Here's Dad singing Heaven. <laughs>
brings back some memories. Um, 1983, right, Brian? 1983, just before uh, Ghostbusters. Right before Ghostbusters, and we had this record in uh, being played a lot in Los Angeles. As I said, we were driving around in this Hira Rec car, and we used to hear it on the radio. Yeah, we couldn't get uh, arrested in Britain, no. and uh, for some reason, no. um, yep. uh, DJ heard it in K Rock, and he brought it over to California. Yeah, and they couldn't get enough of it. They put it on heavy rotation. It, it was a, t a top ten record in Los Angeles, and I think you know when we met Ray Parker for Ghostbusters, he thought it was in the top ten. I mean, it was that much played, wasn't right. it? And uh, it, what was pretty amazing about this song, and I think it still is kind of an underground iconic song. It, it never really charted. Um, it was in, in a movie. Not the first time around. No, that's right. Yeah. First time it didn't chart. We were in the dance charts. Number 18 in the dance charts. Number 18. Number okay. 18, uh, top 20. That was a really Should have been number one. I reckon it's <laughs> everything. Everything we wrote. Everything we wrote should have been number should, one. And everything we're going to write should and it will one. be it from will now be. on I'm feeling confident I'm feeling confident but this song Dancing in Heaven after Ghostbusters well but same time really really it was yeah. 1983 1984 and um, wherever we went at that time uh, uh, Dancing in Heaven was our passport really well remember we had uh, 10 or 11 songs recorded as our album yeah um, aside from Dancing in Heaven that was our passport that's true. To the, the record companies hearing the, the other 10 or 11 songs that uh, they'd recorded uh, with the band. They, they weren't demos, they were masters. They were masters, and every time we went into an A&R department and played the normal songs that we thought their artists would do, every now and then we would pull out these uh, new wave techo songs, and they were very excited by that at that time, weren't they? Yeah, at one point we were offered a record deal. Really? Yep. So I can't uh, remember that. We couldn't, we couldn't take it, obviously, because we were with Jive Records, but... Uh, Wow. There was, we got offered a, a buyout. Somebody said you can buy. I can't remember any of that. Yeah, we can, we can be bought out of our record deal. <laughs> we didn't do it. Oh, I'm just wondering why we didn't do it, you know? I mean, that's a, I can imagine us having two or three record contracts at the same time. I mean, we were devilish people <laughs> in those days. <laughs> we, were re we, we were rebellious. And it brings up the memory of we... We produced a band when we first came into LA on the back of Dancing in Heaven, Capitol Records. They hired us to produce a album, like an EP album, six tracks, for a band called Bone Symphony. Can oh, you remember that? It's that? a great band, yeah. And we had a single that they released called... Um, um, it's a Jungle Out There. It's a Jungle Out There. And that was very big in England, but not in America. No. But also, as, as Rebels, they, uh, Capital weren't going to uh, do a, a final deal with us, a proper deal that we'd agreed. And so I stole the master tapes. You still got them? Well, I mean, I, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, what yeah. a criminal. I just don't want people to know they're in the loft. You've just told everybody they're in the loft. <laughs> I'm not a very good criminal. <laughs> you got practice. No, but we did. We Well, I did. And you sort of stood by me, luckily. But I, I we, wasn't there. I didn't do it. <laughs> nothing I, to do with me. I went up to the second engineer and said, you've got to just turn your head away and show me where the master reels are. And I remember taking those master reels, hiding them until... Um, my lawyers got involved until Capital um, did do the deal wow. that was fair with us. But, wow. And um, Diane, my manager at that time, and was working with you, she said, this is a very risky business. Um, but in those Diane days... Diane was against it? 
No, she well, she said it's risky, but um, she could see what we were like. I mean, we, yeah. were, we were possessed with uh, getting fair deals. I know nothing about this. This has nothing to do you with You were there, man. <laughs> you were there. You were ed edging me on. And when I said, where am I going to hide them, you said, your loft. Your loft. <laughs> That's where they are now. No, no. I mean... <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this on the show. Don't look at this. None loft. of this was known till now. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a not. It's going to be FBI. Hello, where's your loft? <laughs> where, where are those master tapes, Mr. Page? Um, but no, we were very, very, very um, rebellious. I think in those days we believed in what we were doing. Absolutely. Now we, uh... And now, Dancing in Heaven uh, is going to lead us on to um, the great band. I mean, it was very quick. After Ghostbusters, which his show is about, it led us r rapidly towards one of the bands that we idolised, which was Earth, Wind and Fire. Fantastic time. What a dream that was. Huh? I mean, it was quick, wasn't it? Yeah. There was Ghostbusters, and then within a very short time, we seemed to be in the complex studios in LA with our heroes, Earth, Wind and Fire. Well, we had been, um, well, before we came over to the States, we went to Wembley to see Earth, Wind and Fire play live. Absolutely, and God, yes. You know, to think at that time, you know, we would have been working with them in the studio. A few weeks only later. Only a few weeks later. Uh, this brings us a memory back because we had, the again, Dancing in Heaven, Q Feel. Um, uh, we'd been in touch with Diane in Los Angeles, the, our manager, but from afar, and she said, uh, I can get you Earth, Wind & Fire tickets because she was working uh, for Earth, Wind & Fire and Ray Parker. And so we went to Wembley, the band, Trevor, the drummer, me, you, I don't think Chris came, the keyboard player, mm. but we're in the front row two hours before they started, marvelling at how they set up their stage. And so we, professional. And we were knocked out yeah. with a show. And I have to say, two weeks later, we're in the studio doing the album Electric Universe. You were, you were teaching uh, Verdine White the, the bass, <laughs> <laughs> bass parts. I don't know song. if I was teaching it to me. Just look you at were? me going, hey, I can't remember that. Yeah. I mean, I grew up... You told him to stop playing. Just stop playing, Verdine. Did I? No. Oh, <laughs> Play with Phil Verdine, come on. I, I know you can do it. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> You've got it in you, I know. <laughs> I've seen I've, you do I've this seen before. seen you at Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you two weeks ago, and you were really good then. <laughs> anyway, yeah. can, can we use any of this? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think we want a lot of our friends to hear this. But anyway, uh, Dancing in Heaven and Ghostbusters in some way led us to meet with Maurice White. And he did like the song Dancing in Heaven. I don't think yes, he was thrilled did. about it, but he was interested in the production value. Well, the writing team in Earth, Wind & Fire before we arrived in the scene was really tight. Yeah, Remember that's that? right. Whole team, wasn't it? Nobody, Ali Willis. Nobody was allowed in there. It that's was, right. It yeah. was like uh, you were either established or you were out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. we were viewed with a great deal of suspicion. And, and I, I, th I can remember that uh, we, nobody really went into the studio, did they? We, uh, unless they were part of the Earth, Wind & Fire family. And yet, and yet we were in there. You were playing keyboards, a moog bass, right? Of all things. A moog, uh, I mean, it's bizarre. You were playing moog bass. I was bass. doing guide vocals. Too. Uh, that's what I can't conceive. You were playing the moog bass. Dear, oh dear. Yes. Oh dear, oh dear. Memories, memories. But I it was, was playing It was like bass. out of body experience. So again, you know, Ghostbusters, Dancing in Heaven, led us to Earth, Wind and Fire. And uh, then we went on and got very close to Maurice White. And he took us on as songwriters to work for Barbara Streisand when he produced her. 
Yes. Neil Diamond. Solo album. Yeah, and Neil Diamond, and we did his solo record. And there's a great track that we feel very involved with, particularly Brian, um, a great track um, called Stand By Me, which was the first single off of that solo album. And we were associate producers on that record. Yeah, unbelievable. And the track Stand By Me, the Benny E. King song, is um, pretty f amazing, I think, in the arrangement. Now, I remember, Bri, you arranging that with Maurice. Well, Maurice wanted to do something different with it. So, you know, he, he would, it's one of his favorite songs of all time. Mm. And he, he said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to give it special treatment. And he wanted, like, uh, certain arrangements, vocal arrangements, that uh, hadn't been done before and would complement the, the song as it is because he always said, mm. this is a great song. Yeah. He says, we've got to do it justice. So we ended up in the studio uh, together, on the mic together. Just the two uh, of you. Just working out yeah. harmonies. And then uh, Marie says, roll the tape. So we rolled the tape. and It's those accents, isn't it? Stand by me. Stand by me. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And the, he actually recorded me singing and it was like you sure you want to keep this you know? he's a scotsman do you really want a scotsman on this <laughs> i mean really you know <laughs> apparently he did he kept it <laughs> but you know when you listen to the record because we haven't heard it for a while but we thought for the show we would play it and your vocals are right up there you know i mean we it's your sound oh, it's, it's amazing to uh, to think that i can actually hear myself on the maurice white album yeah and it's uh, that song singing and that song was yeah sing, uh, singing uh, that song was a single I think it got to 50 in the pop charts and we were like baffled that should, should have been, have been number one <laughs> you, you say that about all our songs you really all do. of them should have been number one <laughs> even the ones we're going to write right yes yeah, the they're already, we, we already defined yet. it's defined but I remember us all thinking that's going to be a top 30 record and it didn't uh, perform easily I would have thought yeah but, uh, apparently not I didn't get the, the backing from the record company. And an unusual, think. unusual um, version. I mean, the, key, the, the way the keyboards are, the way he, we approach that whole song, which I have to say was mainly you. I can remember, I felt a bit left out of it because I felt like... Oh, it was the drum programming, wasn't it? We, we, you programmed the drums. We wanted to use Lindrum. Yeah. And I was uh, a programmer at the time for Lin, Lindrums. Although I think John Robinson played live drums. Yes, on he top did. Of it he after. came in yeah. like halfway through it. Not even halfway through. I was just exactly. sat behind the glass going, nobody wants me, I've got no... We wanted you, uh, nothing, we did. Nothing worthwhile to contribute. We wanted you to smile at us when we were singing. <laughs> Keep that one. I was good at saying things. You like were good that. at that. I was good at that. Or Sing that again, it's so out of tune. And because what you, you were good at is coming at the last minute and saying, sing it again for the hundredth time. Yeah, well my thing was to say, that was really good. Oh, that's almost there, so almost. close, I so mean, it, close. We could keep that, but I think there's one more in you. <laughs> I think you can do a little bit better than that. I know we've been in there for 17 hours, but I think there's <laughs> another one there. <laughs> <laughs> how to hate a person actually i gotta say that we were a good cop bad cop yeah sometimes you know if brian brought up a point um i would back off and sort of say the other sort of help him out and then if i was had to say something to maurice like let's try that again brian would play a different kind of um emotion to that so i think we had a real good balance of confusing people Confusing people. Confusion is always a good tactic. Yeah, I do have, I've got to say this, I do have memories of Maurice White behind the glass singing and us both saying, 
we think he could do that. Between the, just between me and Brian and the engineer, we said, I think he, we could have to tell him and do that again. He's and probably reading our lips. Yeah. <laughs> and Brian <laughs> said, you tell him. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you you're, tell him, I'm not going to tell him. Mark. You're really good at that. And what I did was just push down the talk back and just back <laughs> off. You go, what was that, Brian? You said we should do that again? <laughs> <laughs> Brian thinks he should do it one more time, Maurice. And Maurice, who was a lovely man, always sweet and always smiling, at those points, he just gave us a look of like, ah, <laughs> didn't he? It was like, stupid boys. Stupid, <laughs> stupid English boys. <laughs> well, I'll do it for them to make them happy. But no, I think once he said to us, he goes, uh, move on, it's good enough. And we were like, oh right. God, oh God. He's made his mind up. <laughs> we're not involved anymore. Another day. <laughs> Another day of recording. How did we survive? I don't know. I mean, uh, now, I will take any vocal. And, and any vocal, any vocal and put it through auto-tune. Auto-tune, yeah. Isn't that ridiculous you can do that these days? Yeah, yeah, it is ridiculous. So I mean, I never use auto-tune. Of course never. you don't. No, 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 no. no. That's, It'd that, be a shame I don't even know it. what it is. Shameful. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't know. What? Who brought it up? <laughs> Let's play Stand By Me with Brian Fairweather featured on vocals. When the night has come And the moon is the only light we see No, I won't be afraid I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me Time and I tell you, it still gets me because I miss Maurice. 
Oh, absolutely. That was a loss, wasn't it? I, 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 I still, you know, really wish I'd got to see him just before he passed because I think he was a bit of a mentor to us, like Ray Parker was. Absolutely. He took us in. Like both Ray and uh, Maurice were very welcoming. How lucky were we? Oh, how often does that happen? I mean, this all happened at a certain period. It seemed like when we did Ghostbusters, we were there very quickly, as we were saying, with Earth, Wind and Fire. But, I, I mean... We were just discussing there as the song was playing that we were very fortunate to, I think, bounce into two really heartfelt guys that uh, were in it for the right reasons. I remember Maurice saying, you know, you guys are going to go far, you two, right. if, as long as you keep away from the drugs and the alcohol, which we never did. Which you didn't do. No, 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 that's right. And then when we got you out of hospital, <laughs> we felt like we could work on... <laughs> I mean, I always had to have a stomach pump in the studio with you after that period, but it, you know... Is that what it was? I thought it was a piece of musical that's equipment. A, I, I kept you alive a lot, mate. I mean, you Thank had you to... Mate. Yeah. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be here today unless I had that stomach pump, you know? It wasn't at all uncomfortable, <laughs> really. It, I enjoyed it. We're off again. I mean, our, our manager said that... This is, a, this is a fact. She said, when you two guys went in the studio to work with people, you're always laughing about, pissing about, having a good laugh. And everybody took you for a good fun guys and just having fun. But when it came down to actually recording, we were pretty clinical about what we wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, no, we, you know? we got sensible when we needed to. And I would only use the stomach pump on you when the session was finished. That was very considerate of you. Well, we had you. a budget, didn't we? That's true. <laughs> Music Only was one more. more use of that stomach pump. <laughs> <laughs> Music was more. Put him back in the box. I could have always got another partner. You know what I mean? But the stomach pump. The stomach pump was, was expensive. It. it was expensive. That was made by AMS. Partners are it was a ten a penny. <laughs> stomach pumps and oh, that was a lot. How are we going to get back to Ghostbusters? <laughs> How are we going to get back to Ghostbusters? I don't know. Who are you going to call? Uh, there you go. That was good. That was good. That was very good. Strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! If there's something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! So it's Halloween. Um, are you gonna get dressed up, Bri, for Halloween? I am indeed gonna get dressed up. I'm gonna wear a tie. And you're gonna knock on people's doors and scare kids? It's uh, trick or treat. You'd scare me if you knocked at the door, I'll tell you. Especially if I was only wearing a tie. That would be horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> a tartan tie. That was fun, Bri. Thanks for joining me on the Ghostbusters special. I've had a blast. Thanks for inviting me. See you all soon. Keep Ghostbusting. Ghostbusters!